0: Good morning everybody. Good morning. I'm Preston Pitts, an elder here at, at Carson, uh, Common Grounds. <laughs> and uh, I am so excited to be with you today, and I get extremely excited when we open what God's word together and study together. And, uh, and, and I've been praying that truly God will speak to each and every one of us in an individual and specific way. And today um, we are continuing our study in the book of Romans. And we're in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to go through verses 24 through 30. And as we get started, I want to share something with you. And that is that um, while I was doing this, uh, putting this sermon together, God kept putting a term on my heart. And every time I thought about it, I smiled. And as I was smiling, and then it just kept coming back again and coming back again Until it is actually the title of the sermon today. And that is nutritious and delicious. (laughs) Now think about that. What's nutritious? It's good for you, it strengthens you, it energizes you, and also it helps your immunity. Build up your immunity toward things. It's delicious savory, the aroma, the taste buds are tantalized. And you take the bite and the experience is elevated. You can tell I'm a foodie. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I say that because it is my belief that the verses we're going to go through today cover both of those. I believe these, virtues, these verses will nurture us, strengthen us, and build our immunity toward the world. I believe that these verses will also reflect the majesty, the greatness, and the goodness of our God. And we will taste and see that God is good. And uh, how exciting that is that we get to go do that together. And uh, so we're going to get started. But There's one more thing. I have an appetizer for you at no additional cost. (laughs) And what is that? I'm going to answer a question that many of you ponder probably all the time. What is that question? Close. (laughs) It's close. How do you eat an elephant? (laughs) One bite at a time. I say that because we're going to go through some elephant-sized verses today. And we're going to do it one or two verses at a time. I'm not even going to read all of them in their entirety yet. But we're going to take them, digest them, and in doing so then we're going to tie them all together and see the magnificence of what these verses tell us. And so with that, we're going to take our first bite. And we're going to look at... Verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul here is obviously talking about hope. And as we're going to go deeper in that, I want to just put the context together. We're in Romans chapter 8. We've learned that there's now no condemnation for those who believe in Christ. We believe that we are children of God. We understand that we're adopted into the family of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. And we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit residing in us, that w- that of uh, those of us who believe. And then last week, uh, Derek, the, the verses right before these, he reminded us, that even though we have all those gifts and all those benefits and all those graces from God, we still live in a fallen world. And that world is groaning and moaning. And why? Because it's groaning and moaning over the weight of sin that still hangs here and the movement toward destruction that is constantly happening. But not only is the world... Moaning and groaning, but Paul said, We are also. And so, in the midst of that, he wants us to hope. And what does he ask us to hope in? And that answer is in verse 23. He wants us to eagerly hope for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So, Paul is saying for us to hope in our salvation. And when I hear the word hope, I, from my worldly viewpoint, I've always thought of it as wishful thinking, keeping my fingers crossed, things are going to work out. But when we use the word hope here, it's not wishful thinking. It is based on the promises of God. So we can be confident in what we're hoping for. So we're hoping for our salvation. We're hoping, we're putting our hope in that. Even though the world is coming against us, we want to be eternally minded. That's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Have an eternal perspective. Remember who we are in Christ. So, I'm going to draw on some other things that Paul had, had written because they're relevant for here, us today. And that is in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 and Ephesians 6.17, Paul is talking about spiritual battle. And he says several things about it, but one he says in both those places, he says to take the hope of salvation and put it on as a... Helmet, And I have to admit, sometimes I read, I get spiritually dressed, and I kind of go through the motions. But he's saying, put on the hope of salvation over your mind. You're in a spiritual battle. And that helmet reflects the divine protection of God. So when we are being attacked by the world, we are being um, um, confused, lied to, deceived by the world, Put on that helmet and pray for God's protection. Because simply, Paul is saying if you put on, by focusing on the of the salvation, which is receiving our, our full adoption into the family of God and our redeemed bodies, that will overcome the lies and the deceit of the world. Because when we talk of hope, it's about the mind. And he's saying, God will help you. When you focus and change your focus on eternity, your mind will be changed and you will be able to respond to the attacks of the world. <clears throat> so keep that in mind as we're going through this, because we're going to mention it a couple more times. With that, we're going to take another bite. We're going into verses 26 and 27. Now, again, our overarching theme in in this series right now for what we're going over today is God is constantly working for our good. He's always working on our behalf. That's the big picture that we want to keep in mind as we go through these verses. And here we see God working for our behalf, but it's the Holy Spirit. And how comforting that is to us that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Because one thing that Paul reveals in this is that even though we are saved, we are still spiritually weak. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And, that's, and the Holy Spirit is saying here, one of the ways I'm going to help you in your weakness is I'm going to help you how to pray. And what we're saying, or what Paul is saying, is that the Holy Spirit will come alongside of us in our prayer life. Because our prayers are typically not elevated to God's purposes and desires. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to elevate our prayers. And the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. He takes our prayers. He helps us form them and hopes us form prayers that he's going to lift up to God the Father on our behalf so that we're praying, sometimes even if we don't know it, the things that are consistent with God's desires and will. And one of the beautiful things about that is that we learn the Holy Spirit is always working for our spiritual welfare. However, there's one really important thing to this. And that is, we must participate. This is not a passive thing. We need to engage in our prayer life in such a way that we're calling on the power of the Holy Spirit. We're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Himself to us as we're praying. And we're asking Him to put in our mind in our heart the things that He wants us to do and understand. The beauty of this is... When we are in harmony and cooperating with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit works a mighty work in us as we're praying. It is there the Holy Spirit comforts us, teaches us, guides us, and energizes and and elevates our prayers so that we are praying in such a way, we also begin to be built up. And in doing that, part of the process is we're being transformed at that time. And it's a beautiful thing that starts to happen. And the other thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit begins to move us to an understanding of God's will. And this is one of the beautiful things. If you actually look in verse 27, one of the wonderments that I picked out of this Now, I know it, but it's just the fact that it was presented this way. The God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect unity. The Holy Spirit is understanding the will of God, and He's understanding our needs, and the Holy Spirit in the middle is elevating our prayers to be consistent with the will of God. In doing that, we can be assured that the Holy Spirit One of the main roles for the Holy Spirit would be that we we begin to ask things that are consistent with God's will, and we begin to pray that way. And think about that. As you're moved, you have knowledge and understanding of God's will. That's part of the abundant life we're talking about. So what happens is when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we understand God's will, and we're walking and doing the, and knowing the, the, the will of God, we're participating in the abundant life that way. Now, the Apostle John says it another way. It's similar, but what he's talking about, he's focused on our prayer life. And if you can read that, because I don't have it in front of me. Uh, And this is the, turn around, thank you. And this is, I love wise, wise, practical people. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that have been asked of him. So we're talking here about the power of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. And this is saying the Holy Spirit gets us to knowledge and understanding of God's will. John is reminding us when we pray that, and we pray God's will, God hears us. And if He hears us, He answers our prayers. He answers that prayer. Think of how that ties together for all of us. Because we want to live a life consistent with God's will. And how beautiful that is. So here we're seeing God working for our good, working for ways for us to continue to mature in our life, and that's happening through the Holy Spirit coming alongside us in our prayer life. So now we're going to take another bite. (laughs) And that bite is one of those bites where you have to open wide because... There's going to be a lot to digest in this. This is verse 28. And we're only talking one verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now to start out, we're going to focus on the middle section. Which is, all things work together for good. Now, what are all things? The good, the bad, the sweet, the bitter, the happy, the sad, the prosperous times, the hard times, the good times, when we're healthy, when we're sick, and and in life and death. So all things are all things. Every aspect of our life. God is going to work for our good. And we see the ups and the downs. However, we cannot take that part of the verse without considering the second part at the same time. And that is, all things work together. The importance of that is, we cannot look at life one slice at a time, one event at a time. God is saying, I'm going to work all things for your good. Stay with me. Abide with me. Stay close to me because I'm working things that you can't see. Trust me in this. And I'm going to give you an example, a real life thing, example that I think drives this home. You're sick, not feeling well, you go to the doctor. The doctor analyzes you and makes a prescription. He gives you the prescription, and you go to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist fills the prescription. If you watch the pharmacy, he takes a little of this, takes a little of that, it takes some of this and some of that and mixes it together. Gives it to you. It says, go and take this as prescribed. You take it. You get better. Your body's restored, you're healed, and you're able to go back to fullness of life. But I also submit to you that if you took any one of those ingredients by itself, it would harm you. It might even kill you. But together, those ingredients heal. Restore and and make you back to full activity and restoration. God is saying that here. Don't look at life one event at a time. Look at it in its entirety. Stay with me. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to make an appeal to some of you, and that is I know firsthand that some of you have received devastating news about health, about family and friends that have died or committed suicide. I know some of you have incurred great financial stress. So I just ask you to stay with me as we continue on this. Because a lot of times, we'll dismiss something as, I love God, and I know he's there, but this is not for me. I'm telling you, this is for you. You need to stay with us, because we're going to continue to paint the picture of what it means for God to work good in our life. So with that, we're going to talk about good. And what is good? From God's perspective, the primary focus for God and is the fact that in goodness he is focusing on our spiritual welfare and conforming us to, to, the, to the nature and the image of Christ. So that's the primary goal. And that may sound too spiritual and limited, but I can tell you when God work, is working that in our life, you will be amazed at the good things that start happening to you Because he's doing that. So let's just take a second. What is good? Here's some of the things to consider. Your intimacy with your relationship with Christ is enhanced. You're understanding the word of God more and more, and it's encouraging you. Your sins have been cut off. Certain sins have been cut off that are harming you. You're being weaned off the world. You're being used by God to help him progress his kingdom. You're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. You're experiencing joy and peace. All of these things are emerging as God is transforming and conforming us to the image of Christ. So when you look at your life... And things are happening, and you want to see if God is working in your life. Look at those types of things. And it's a beautiful event that starts happening as we experience all those good things. We are then walking in more with the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed. And in that process, many blessings start happening to us. And when you hear those words, coincidence, it's actually God working things out. It's not a coincidence. The goodness of God is playing out many times through his spiritual um, supernatural ways. So our life takes on new meaning when we begin to be conformed toward Jesus. And that is what God, part of how God is working for the goodness of us in our life. Now, I'm going to take slices of two people's lives very quickly. Um, and I think as we go through their lives, it helps reinforce what we're talking about here. The first life is Joseph. And in Joseph's life, Joseph was um, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob was the, one of the patriarchs who received the covenant blessings through Abraham that God gave through Abraham. And so Joseph was led a tough life. His brothers hated him. His brothers sold him into slavery. And in slavery he was falsely accused of things he did not do. And he was thrown into prison. Now I wasn't there but I can just halfway imagine being in an Egyptian prison in that time was not a pleasant experience. So he suffered in the prison. People made promises to him that they would help get him out, and they abandoned him. All through these events in Joseph's life, he honored God. He trusted God and believed and had faith. Eventually, Joseph was elevated to second-in-command over all of Egypt. Now, I am short-circuiting a ton of his life. If you want to read about it, I think it's in verses uh, 30, chapters 37 through 50 in Genesis. However, the important part is God elevated him, got him elevated to a position of authority. In that, God used him to prepare Egypt for a great famine that was coming. And through Joseph's leadership, the famine came, but Egypt was prepared. And in fact, Egypt shared their resources with other nations. And it says in Scripture, thousands of peoples, thousands of lives were saved because of how God worked through Joseph. Good, thing, good things were happening. The other thing that happened is that Joseph was reconciled to his brothers. The significance of that is that the twelve brothers, the twelve sons of Jacob, were were the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. So effectively what we see happening here, the foundation for the nation of Israel is happening because of the life of Joseph. And Joseph himself looked on his life he saw the suffering the betrayals and all the things that happened and he saw that God was still working in his life for good in fact he was able to tell his brothers in genesis 50:20 what you meant for evil God meant for good so as we're going through life Things are going to happen to us, good and bad. But stay with God, keep the faith. Joseph is a wonderful role model to that. And he's also a wonderful role model how God can work mighty things when we stay with him. Now, I'm going to give you a slice of a life of somebody else. I'm sure some of you have heard of her, Johnny Erickson Tata. And Johnny Erickson Tata, as a young woman, had a diving accident. And in that diving accident, her spine was severed. She's quadriplegic to this day, and we're talking much many years later. So she has physical suffering every day. And she admits that when the event first happened, that she was bitter toward God, angry toward God. But then she later was called by God and she responded. And she says, my soul was restored to a level I never thought possible. And then she began to, she's a speaker, she's a writer, she has a worldwide ministry that helps people uh, are led to Christ and are helped with with their physical difficulties. And she says in the midst of all her ministry, she gets asked this question how could a God, loving God, permit this to happen to you? And I know we've heard that, many of you. But then the second part is, and how could you love, honor, and praise the God that permitted that to happen to you? And her response is, that's all right. I've learned. I could say it, but I want to say it right. I've learned that God allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves. Think about that for a second. Now she, her testimony is she knows firsthand that God worked a mighty work in her, put her in a position to do kingdom work, she said, I never thought possible. And she says, I can testify to the goodness that God has brought into my life from this event and brought to the lives of hundreds of other people. Now I'm going to read this, her comment, her testimony one more time. Which is, I've learned that God allows that which he hates to accomplish That which he loves. Does that remind you of anybody else? Jesus. Think about it. God permitted Jesus to be ridiculed, to be betrayed, to be abused to suffer, and even eventually get on the cross to take on the wrath of the sins for us. I believe God hated that to happen. And Jesus even says, I despise the shame of it. So, but, what was the goal? To accomplish what he loved, which is saving us. So if you ever doubt that God loves you, think about that. God allowed what he hated to accomplish what he loved. Now, I say that because he's also doing that in our lives. Certain things he hates will come into our life. But if we stay with God and we are faithful and trusting and believing, God will help us Turn that into goodness. He will turn it into goodness for us. So we can't short circuit what God is doing in our life. So as I close just this section, I want to say one more thing, and that is this verse should be extremely comforting and encouraging to all of us. God has taken everything in our life and working it for our good. But to really take in this verse, I believe there are three things you should pray about. One, that you understand God is good. Two, that you know God loves and cares for you. And three, that God can accomplish anything. So, as we move away from, 4, 20, from verse 428, I'm sorry, chapter 8, 28, sorry. <laughs> um, I want to say two more things. Who does God do this for? Work the good? For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. For those of us that accepted Jesus That's who he's doing this for. So we, another gift that we have received is God will work for our good because we have professed our faith in Christ and this is being done under the finished work of Christ. So remember that. And then before we go to the last verses, I'm going to put one more thing out um, for verse 28. At the very first Paul says, and we know. What a bold and confident statement he's making. We know that all things work together for good. We know it. How does he know it? He knows it through the revelations of God, of which a part of that we find in verses 29 and 30. So let's go take our last bite. Verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot there. However, what I want to make a few comments on is what Paul is describing here is God's divine plan of salvation for us. And he's saying this is going to happen. And the reason that Paul says, I know God's going to work for your good is because he knows you've been predestined. He knows you're going to be justified. He knows you're going to receive your glorified bodies. And He says, but for God to get you there, He's going to work completely in your life while we're living on this earth. And part of that work He does is working for our greater good, taking everything in our life. So He knows God's going to do that for us. Now, the next few weeks, all these things in particular in verse 30 are going to be talked about in greater detail so I'm not going to go in great detail but I do want to point out a couple of things that in verse 29 there are two things that that are are the ultimate goals that God is revealing to us in His plan of, of salvation for us. One we're going to be conformed to the image of His Son God will accomplish that in us and two In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Which means that Jesus is going to be preeminent over us. His redeemed and glorified people. So that one's a little different dimension I haven't heard us talk about yet. Now one of the things God is accomplishing by working in our life and taking us to eternal salvation is he is going to bless Jesus. Jesus will have a glorified and people that he will reign over and he'll be preeminent over. It's a beautiful picture of heaven and we, it reminds us of our study in heaven. Oh my that we're going to be reign, Jesus will be reigning and we will be his people. So as we conclude this this is a difficult little shift and I I thought about whether I should do this or not, but I just felt compelled to, and that is, before I close, when you hear the words predestined, election, chosen, I've known people that get passive, they get fatalistic, what I mean by that is they say, well, it's a done deal, I don't need to do anything, God's doing all this, God is doing the work, But we have to participate. And one of the key points I want to make sure we all understand is that that Jesus is, that God initiates our salvation. And God will finish our salvation. But we must profess our faith in Christ to complete the salvation. Never forget that. We have to profess our faith. It's a mystery, but it's part of the process to complete our salvation. And we should be a people who are also sharing the gospel message with others because in that, God will work his mighty work. So I'm just encouraging us, don't be passive when we hear these words. So as I close, I just remind us, That what we've gone over today, Jesus says, in this world you're going to have trouble. But have hope. Your hope is in your eternal salvation. Let that protect and guide you and give you an eternal perspective. He's also saying, be reminded, I help you in many ways. And one of those is the Holy Spirit will help you in your prayers. To ultimately understand the will of God and live a life in the midst of the will of God. He will say, I remember I'm working for your greater good. And I will always do that because I have promised your salvation. And I will constantly be with you. So let us close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your mighty words and the work that you do. And I pray, Father, for you to uh, just continue in our life to uh, guide us in everything that we do. May we be a people that look to you to work in our life. May we be surrendered to your will. I pray, Father, for you to um, just to let us feel your presence. May we just relax in you and find our rest and our peace. And may we draw upon your power and might as we go through this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now uh, the voice is over here. Um, the fun thing about those passages there is all things work together for good, but but as Preston was saying, to those who were called according to his purpose, to those who love God, meaning those who have placed their faith in, in Jesus as Lord. That's not a uh, blanket statement for every.